This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I just tease up Isaiah so beautifully because Isaiah uh, is about the glory of the Holy One. All right. So we're looking this morning at Isaiah 37. And the title of the message is that the world may know. Isaiah chapter 37. So if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you, uh, go back. If you, haven't, if you weren't here and you haven't had a chance to see that message, go back uh, and watch it. Because Isaiah 36 through 39 are like a unit within the book of Isaiah. And it's like a bridge It's a bridge between chapters 1 through 35 and chapters 40 through 66. As we talked about last week, these four chapters are different than the rest of Isaiah. This is a a narrative. It It is a story. And it's a spine-tingling story about something that is is going on. And so I'm going to recap a little bit today at the beginning from chapter 36, if you weren't a part of that. So you've got a context for what is is going on. But we're going to focus today on chapter 37. And we're going to look at all of, of chapter 37. Guys, it's so hard to split the, these chapters up because they're, they really, it's a story. And it goes together, and, and, and everything in verse 37 just kind of fits together. So we're going to look at all of it today. Isaiah 37, and follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Bible says, When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the Lord's temple. He sent Elakim, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priest who were covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They said to him, This is what Hezekiah says. Today, is a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace. It is as if children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of the royal spokesman whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God and will rebuke him for the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the surviving remnant. So the servants of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah, who said to them, Tell your master, the Lord says this, Don't be afraid because of the words you have heard with which the king of Assyria's ascendants have blasphemed me. I am about to put a spirit in him and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land where I will cause him to fall by the sword. Let's, uh, let's go down to verse 10. Say this to King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God, this is, this is Sennacherib's threats to him, don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem won't be handed over to the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? Gozan, Haran, Hespa? The Edenites of Telassar, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sarabatham, Hena, and Eva? Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands, read it, then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. 
Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made from wood and stone by human hands, so they have destroyed them. Now, Lord our God, save us from his power, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, Because you prayed to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Let's go to verse 23. Who is it you have mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. You have mocked the Lord through your servants. You have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choice cypress trees. I came to its distant heights, its densest forests. I dug wells and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up all the streams of Egypt with the soles of my feet. Have you not heard? I designed it long ago. I planned it in days gone by. I have now brought it to pass. And you have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble. Verse 28. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in. And you're raging against me. Because you're raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you go back the way you came. Go to verse 33. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city, shoot an arrow here, come before it with a shield, or build up a siege ramp against it. He will go back the way he came, and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sherezer struck him down with the sword. And escaped to the land of Ararat. Then his son Esar Haddon became king in his place. According to Webster's, a crucible is one, a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. Two, a place or occasion of severe test or trial. So as chapter 37 opens, King Hezekiah is in a crucible. 
He is going through a severe test. And, and last week in chapter 36, we, we saw that the Assyrian army has invaded Judah. They have already conquered all of the fortified cities of Judah, except Jerusalem. And now they are only 30 miles west of Jerusalem at the city of Lachish. They have taken Lachish. And, and Lachish was a city that guarded the road to Jerusalem. So basically now they have a wide open road right to Jerusalem with this massive army of 185,000 men, more armaments than what the Judah could possibly muster. And so we saw last week that King Sennacherib of Assyria sends a spokesman to Jerusalem who meets with King Hezekiah's emissaries. And we saw last week that this Assyrian spokesman just hurls out blood-curdling threat after blood-curdling threat that they are going to, uh, to torture the people of Jerusalem and annihilate them. And listen, they were not idle threats because the Assyrians had already done it to city after city and nation after nation. All of the numbers were in their favor. All Hezekiah had was God. But guess what? One man or one woman plus God is always enough. The issue is, will Hezekiah turn to God? And that's the issue for you and me when we're in the crucible. To whom will you turn? So what do we see here in this chapter? First, first of all, we see Hezekiah make two wise moves, two wise things that he does at the beginning of this chapter. The first one is that Hezekiah takes the issue to God. Hezekiah takes the issue to God. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. When King Hezekiah heard their report, this is the report that was full of all of their threats, he tore his clothes covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the Lord's temple. Then he sent Elakim, who was in charge of the palace, Shedna the court secretary, and the leading priest who were covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. So what does Hezekiah do? He takes this issue to God. What do we see in verse 1? He goes into the temple of God. What do we see in verse 2? He sends his emissaries to seek out the prophet of God, Isaiah. Notice also what Hezekiah does not do. Hezekiah does not go running to the Egyptians for help as he had done in the past. He does not try to negotiate or bargain his way out of this. He just simply takes it to God. Now, he should have done that a lot sooner, 
the reason that they're in the situation that they're in is because the issue wasn't taken to God sooner. They had run around and, you know, they had trusted in everyone and everything but God. And now they are in this predicament with the Assyrians breathing down their neck. So should Hezekiah have gone to God sooner? Of course. But listen, does God say to him at this point, you know, hey, buddy, you know, you should have come sooner. (laughs) You should have come years earlier. Now you're going to wait and you're going to come to me when the Assyrians are right outside the gate of your city and you want me to help you? Does God say that? Oh, no. No. And he doesn't say that to you and me either. You know, sometimes we'll hear a little voice in our heads saying, you know what? You've made too much of a mess of things. It's too late for you. You've made too many bad choices You've wasted too much time. Don't even think of going to God now. He doesn't want to hear from you. Friends, that's the devil talking when you hear that. That's not God. No, when you come to God in true and sincere repentance and faith, our God is like the Father in the parable of the prodigal son who doesn't even wait for the prodigal to get to the house. What does he do? He sees the prodigal son coming down the road and what does that father do? He runs out to meet him. That's the heart of our God. He's full of grace and mercy when you come to him. It's never too late. And so Hezekiah, first of all, takes the issue to, to God. That was the first wise move. Second, Hezekiah asks God to answer for his glory's sake. So let's check out verse 4. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear. Emissaries are talking to Isaiah now. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of the royal spokesman whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God. You see, Hezekiah wants Isaiah to pray for him. But he doesn't just want Isaiah to pray that he is going to be bailed out of the situation. He wants Isaiah to pray that God's name, God's glory, God's reputation will be vindicated and upheld in this situation. Because he knows that it's God's glory that is at stake. God has been mocked. And so it's God's honor, God's name that is on the line. And so Hezekiah wants Isaiah to pray. Not merely that he will be bailed out of this tough spot that he's in. But that God would be glorified. Ray Ortland says this. That's a different way of praying. What inspires it? Hezekiah understands the meaning of his life. His existence is a platform for the display of God's glory in the world. He is not treating God as a means to his own ends, but as the worthy end of all things. He is not praying, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? He is praying, Lord, will you not glorify yourself in this? His personal fate is not his concern. 
He's released from that prison. He has become a God-centered man. A God-centered man. Are you a God-centered man? Are you a God-centered woman? Then understand that your life is not about you. It is about God being glorified in and through you. And when you realize that life is not about you and like your own personal fate, that's incredibly freeing. That frees you to live for something much higher than you. The glory of God. The second thing that we see here in chapter 37 is that God moves into the situation. God moves into the situation. Look at verses 5 through 7. So the servants of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah, who said to them, Tell your master, the Lord says this, Don't be afraid because of the words you have heard with which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me. I am about to put a spirit in him, and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land where I will cause him to fall by the sword. (laughs) So here's this massive army right outside of Jerusalem, ready to take it, you know, ready to kill the people, ready to annihilate Jerusalem. They've got all the power, all the numbers, everything is on their side. And God just says, it's not going to (laughs) happen. It's not going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Sennacherib is going to hear a rumor that's going to deflect him away from you. And he is going to end up going back to Assyria without even laying a hand on you. And furthermore, once he gets back, he's going to die. He's going to be struck down by the sword. Done. God can do more in five seconds than what you can do in five years or 50 years when he moves into the situation. So, In any situation that you face, what should you do? What do you you need? In any situation, in any crucible of life that you find yourself in, what is it that you need? You need God to move into that situation. So pray. Pray, pray. Pray for the intervention of God. God, that's what we need. Things happen when God moves in. All right, now let's look at Hezekiah's prayer. Verses 9 and 10 give us the the, the context for it. Set it up. The king had heard concerning the king uh, Tirhaka of Cush, and this is talking about King Sennacherib at this point. He hears this rumor, right? He is set out to fight against you. So when he heard this, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, say, to, say this to King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem won't be handed over to the king of Assyria. So just as God had said would happen, Sennacherib hears a rumor. He hears a rumor that his, force, that that his forces are being attacked 
by these Egyptian forces. So t- temporarily, he pulls, he, would, he pulls back from Jerusalem to deal with this, this, this rumor of these forces that he's heard about. But as he does that, he sends word to Hezekiah, hey, don't think for a minute that I'm done with you. I may be distracted here for a moment, but I, after that, I'm coming back for you. And don't you think for a moment that your God can do anything to help you. Verses um, 11 and, uh, and, and 12. Look, you have heard. Again, this is Sennacherib's threats. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? Again, as we talked about last week, Sennacherib just thinks that Yahweh is just one of the gods. Again, do you see what's at stake? It's the glory of God that is at stake. Um, look at verse 14. Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands, read it, then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. So Hezekiah gets this, gets this letter with all of these blood-curdling threats. And he just, what does he do with it? It, he goes up into the temple and then he just takes it and just spreads it out before the Lord. Now he doesn't do, he doesn't do that because God needs information about what's in the letter. God, God knew very well what was in that letter. He takes it and he spreads it out as like a physical act of surrender. By taking this letter and just spreading it out before the Lord Hezekiah is saying, Lord, I am powerless to deal with this. I cannot deal with this. Only you can. I'm presenting it to you. I'm I'm laying it out before you. And what does Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tell us to do? It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Do what? Present your request to God. Just lay it out there. Just lay it out there before God. Just give it to him. And then what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Take it, lay it out before the Lord. Just give it to him. Verses 15 and 16. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim you are God you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth you made the heavens and the earth so Hezekiah begins his prayer with praise I I encourage you in your, your prayer life in your quiet time to begin that way begin with adoration just praising God for who he is right we adoration then confession, and then thanksgiving, and then supplication. But when you begin with adoration, just praising God for who he is, it puts everything into perspective. And so Hezekiah begins just by praising God for who he is. He says, Lord, you, you, are, you, are, you are Lord of armies. And sometimes that's translated as the Lord of hosts. And what that means is he's, he's Lord of the heavenly hosts. He's Lord of heavenly army, armies of angels. 
there's a, there's a beautiful uh, story in, in 2 Kings about this. So it takes place in 2 Kings 6 when the prophet Elisha is being hunted down by an evil king and the king finds out where Elisha is and let's see what happens. 2 Kings 6 and beginning with verse 13. So the king said, go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, Oh, my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Now bear in mind, there were two of them, right? There's, there's Elisha and his servant. And they've gone out and they, they, walk, they walk out and there's a massive army surrounding the city, right? But Elisha says, those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. How come? Verse 17, then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He's the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of armies. Armies of, of angels that fight on behalf of his people. What else does he say? Let's go back to verse 15. He prayed to the Lord, Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the, the, the cherubim you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. We had an election on Tuesday. Guess what? On Wednesday morning, God was still God. <laughs> right? Jesus is still King of kings and Lord of lords. What else does he say here? Verse 16. He says, you made the heavens and the earth. Now think about this when you pray. Think about this when you pray. You are praying to the God who spoke this world into existence. Do you really think that this God is not capable of dealing with anything that you put before him? Oh no. He's the God who made heavens and the earth. He's perfectly capable of dealing with anything that we face in our lives. Look at verse 17. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Again, Hezekiah understands what's at stake here. It's the glory of God that's at stake. Verses 18 and 19. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made from wood and stone by human hands, so they have destroyed them. The gods of all of these other nations that they had conquered were non-gods. They were pieces of things that were made by stone and wood things made by human hands and therefore they could be destroyed by human hands. 
not Yahweh. Verse 20. Now, Lord our God, save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. Now, this is the climactic moment of Hezekiah's prayer. This is what it all comes down to. You see this purpose clause here. What does he say? He says, Lord our God, save us from his power so that what? So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. What is the ultimate purpose of our church? This. What is the ultimate purpose of your life? This. That God would be glorified. That all peoples would know who he is. Because the passion of God's heart and what should be the passion of our heart is that all peoples, every tribe and tongue would know him and rejoice in him, honor him, cherish him. Psalm 67, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We want our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ to be known and cherished and honored and rejoiced in by all peoples that the world may know who he is. John Piper says in his great book, Let the Nations Be Glad, missions exist because worship doesn't. We send people to the ends of the earth because currently there are so many peoples for whom there is, God is not being worshipped because he is not known. And how can they know and how can they believe unless they hear and how can they hear unless we send people, unless we go and send others to go? We want God to be glorified. We want Christ to be known. Now let's look at God's answer here to Hezekiah's prayer. It begins in verses 21 and 22. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, Because you prayed to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. God says, Because you have prayed to me, you didn't go to the Egyptians. You didn't try to weasel your way out of this or bargain or negotiate or anything else because you came to me, because you took this to me in prayer. See, God loves it when his people come to him in prayer and just put things before him. He is honored when you come to him. He's honored and he delights in answering. And now... God says what is going to happen. He turns to, he turns to Sennacherib and he says of him in verse 23, Who is it you have mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. Sennacherib has no idea who he has picked a fight with. Verses 24 and 25. You have mocked the Lord through your servants. You have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choice cypress trees. I came to its distant heights, its densest forests. I dug wells and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up the streams of Egypt with the soles of my feet. See, what God is doing here, he's repeating all of Sennacherib's 
arrogant boasts. But God says, do you know what was really going on the whole time? The whole time that you thought you were doing all these accomplishments, conquering all these nations, do you know what was really happening? Verse 26. Have you not heard? (laughs) I designed it long ago. I planned it in days gone by. I have now brought it to pass. In other words, God is saying the whole time that you were conquering all of these nations, you were nothing but putty in my hands. You were nothing but my instrument for accomplishing my purposes. I was pulling the strings the entire time. And now... It's time to deal with you. Verses 28 and 29. God says, but I know you're sitting down. You're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Because you're raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you go back the way you came. See, the Assyrians were so sadistic when they conquered people. It wasn't enough for them to conquer people. They had to brutalize people and humiliate people. And so archeologists have actually found art from Assyrian palaces of the very thing that we see here, of captives of conquered nations being taken away with bits in their mouth and hooks in their noses. God says, I have seen I've I've seen your cruelty. I've seen your cruelty. I have heard all of your arrogant boasting. And you are going to be brought low. Because what you have sowed, you will also reap. And now, God turns to Hezekiah with words of assurance. Verses 33 and 34. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city, shoot an arrow here, come before it with a shield, or build up a siege ramp against it. He will go back the way he came, and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. God just says, all of his threats, they come to nothing. Not only are they not going to lay siege to Jerusalem, they're not even going to shoot an arrow against it. In fact, the king of Assyria is going to go back the way he came. Verses 36 and 37. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. But what else did God say was going to happen to him once he got back to Nineveh? He's going to die by the sword, right? Verse 38. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sherezer struck him down with the sword. Now think about this. What happens at the beginning of this chapter? At the very beginning of the chapter, what do we see? Hezekiah went into the temple of God and got helped. What do we see at the end of the chapter? Sennacherib 
goes into the, the temple of Nisroch, this idol, and he gets killed. A couple of questions for us in closing. First of all, are you living for God or God substitutes, which are idols? Money can be an idol. Sex can be an idol. Needing to be in control all the time is an idol. Comfort, living for comforts can be an idol. Wanting to stay in your comfort zone, just your, your life becoming obsessed with just the, 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 the creature comforts of life can be an idol. Craving a position can be an idol when it usurps the place of God. Prestige, desiring to be liked and applauded by other people can become an idol. Another person can become an idol. Power can become an idol. Politics can become an idol. When you look around at our country today, it is really clear, right, that for a lot of people, politics has become a religion, an idol. We need to check our hearts. Second, whose glory are you living for, yours or God's? Whose glory are you living for, yours or God's? You say, well, I want God to be a part of my life. I want God to be a big part of my life. Let me tell you something. God doesn't want to be part of your life. He doesn't even want to be the biggest part of your life. God, God wants, has something so much greater for you. God wants to take you and adopt you and sweep you up into his life. It's not you saying to God, hey, I want you to have a role in the drama of my life. No, God wants to take you and sweep you up into his life and into his story, his drama of redemption that he is carrying out in this world. And for some of you, that means repenting of your sins and turning to Christ as Savior and Lord today. For some of you, that means that as a believer, it means that I'm going to trash my idols and I want my life to be about something bigger than me. I want my life to be about the glory of God. Because your life is not about you. It's understanding that it's about him. That it's about his glory. That it is about Christ being honored and magnified in and through your life. In this community and the people that you're around every day and ultimately to the ends of the earth. That's something worth living for. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing chapter of your word. And we pray that you would make us a people who are passionate for your fame and renown in this community and around the world. May that be the grand purpose of our church. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin 
but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.